the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Father, we thank you for these precious words that give comfort and hope, correction and warning. We pray that you would spur us on by your Holy Spirit this morning to pursue and press on towards Christ. And so for the one who needs much encouragement this morning, we pray that you would help the weak. For the one who is uh, tempted to high-handed rebellion, we pray that you would subdue their heart by your reproofs. For the one whose heart is given to all manner of earthly things, lift our eyes to you to a heavenly citizenship and help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, in Philippians chapter 3, there's a lot of ways you could go. Um, one way that you could understand how important Philippians 3 is, is these are two crucial passages for both justification and sanctification and their relationship. Chapter 3 is a beautiful display of our need of a righteousness that comes from Christ, not a righteousness that comes from the law. And that righteousness that comes from Christ is through faith. And then uh, immediately after that, um, we see the Apostle Paul with uh, these words, I press on, I press on. And if you look right kind of in the, the, the immediate context is verses 10 and 11, and then you wonder if the Apostle Paul feels this pastoral pressure a little bit um, because anytime you start talking about righteousness or you start talking about seeking to attain the resurrection from the dead, what you end up, what you end up with is everybody going like this. What, so you think you're the, you're the guy who's perfect? You know? And, um, and I don't know if for sure, I don't want to read in to the Apostle Paul the way we often feel today about these kinds of things, but the, what he says here is interesting because what he's trying to do is get them, um, to not, get them to not settle in to where they are so far in the faith. And so in verse 12, he says, even of himself, not that I have already obtained this, not I haven't attained the resurrection from the dead, I haven't shared sufficiently yet in Christ's sufferings. I press on to know Him, in other words, but I press on to make it my own. I press on to make it my own. And you know, that really is kind of a... It's just a, Those are beautiful words to describe the Christian life. 
I'm justified through faith. I want the righteousness that comes through faith. Why? That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, that I may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that I may attain, if by any means possible, the same resurrection from the dead. And he says, so he says, I press on to take hold of what my future is. That's what he's saying. I'm, I'm pushing forward. I'm moving forward. I'm progressing. In other words, just very simply stated, the Christian life is a life of progressive sanctification. I progress in my sanctification. I today am here, and a month from now, and a year from now, and two years from now, and five years from now, I'm in a different place of progressing in uh, pursuing the future that Christ has called me to. And so, um, why? Why? Well, there's a lot of different reasons because of the future that awaits me, for sure, but that's not actually what the Apostle Paul says here as his argument develops. He says, I press on to make it my own. Now, in the context, remember the dogs and the evildoers and the, the circumcision party back at the beginning of chapter 3, a group like that is overly satisfied in their own righteousness and they're overly satisfied in their spiritual superiority. And so when you hear the Apostle Paul saying what he's saying in the argument that he's making, he's, he's given all of these reasons for his his reason to have confidence in the flesh and um, that he has more reason to have confidence in the flesh than the dogs and the evildoers and the circumcision party. And then he says, but actually, that's all rubbish and what I'm pursuing, I have not yet obtained. And so he's in complete contrast. What he's testifying here is in complete contrast to those who are satisfied with their, what, progress. They're satisfied, you know, we would say, uh, they're satisfied with um, their level of arrival. They're satisfied that they have done sufficiently and, and most immediately merited the favor of God because they've been good enough to keep enough of the law to do so. And the Apostle Paul says, no, no, no. No, that's entirely wrong. That is not the gospel. That is entirely wrong. And so if you think that you are going to merit the righteousness of God by yourself somehow, by any measure of you know, background or church history or lineage or moral superiority that you think you possess, then what the Apostle Paul would say to you is you are entirely wrong. You have it entirely wrong. You actually need a righteousness that comes through faith. And then by his own example, he testifies, I want the future that Christ has for me to attain the resurrection from the dead. And I have not obtained that perfection yet. But I press on. So I have not obtained that perfection yet. Unlike the dogs and the evil workers and the circumcision party and those who tr and everyone else who trusts in themselves and becomes spiritually satisfied with their maturity. Are you spiritually satisfied with your maturity? You know, a lot happened in me between 30 and 40. And I kind of think if I'm to press on, a lot should happen between 40 and 50, but I just hope it's less painful in some ways than it was from 30 to 40. <laughs> Don't you hope for that? Yeah, I'll press on. I just hope it's less painful, <laughs> you know. But of course we have no promise of that because... A lot of our pressing on is that we may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings. May share in his sufferings. 
becoming like him in his death. The false witness will press on through false witness. We'll press on through slander and mockery and lies. We'll press on, um, you know, losing our tax-exempt status as churches. By the way, if anybody thinks you should stop giving uh, to the Lord what is His and beyond in your tithes and offerings because you don't get a tax break, that's just wicked. You absolutely may not think and live and use your money like that. You understand, that's going to happen. Pretty soon, you're not going to be able to claim your... You're going to press on in the sufferings of Christ in our culture. He says, I press on. I press on through these things because I want to make the future that's so valuable to me, the resurrection from the dead, I press on to make it my own. And then this is the most precious verse in the second half. He says, because what? Because Christ Jesus has made me His own. He's made me his own. Isn't that so sweet? He's made me his own. You. He's made you who believe his own. He is your Lord. He is your God. You are his people. This is a refrain that is throughout Scripture. He is your God and you are the sheep the people of His pasture. He has made you His own. He counts you as His own. His own family. His own brethren. His own beloved brothers and sisters and servants. He counts you His own. Fellow heirs with Him because of His work. Because Christ Jesus has made me His own. In other words, are you going to leave me too? Where are we going to go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Have you thought about yourself recently as being made Christ's own? You know, what a foundational, fundamental thought to the nature of the Gospel that Christ has accomplished for us. That He has made us His own. And how like far that is from the reality of our thinking, you know? And our living. And he says, brothers, He says it again. I think he fear I think the apostle Paul has a fear that they're going to think that what he is saying is the same self-righteousness of the evil dogs and the workers of the circumcision party. And so he's very careful to say that's this now that what I'm saying is very different than what they've said they're doing. It's very different than the, how they've treated you. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Now, there's a lot that could be said about forgetting what lies behind. A lot could be said about forgetting what lies behind. And what I want to say about this is to just, I want you to think about how you think about your past. I want you to think about your past, and the Apostle Paul thinking and recounting his past earlier in this chapter. He's forgetting the things that were gained to him. He's also forgetting, in some sense, that he was a persecutor of the church.
in some sense, he has to forget his past sins to be able to press on. And here's, I want you to consider this for a moment. Forgetting what lies behind. Now is he, let me just clarify this. Is the Apostle Paul saying never think about your past? No. He's not saying forget as if the way to pursue Christ without any hindrance is that you have to act like your past didn't exist. Whatever you have been, have done, have not done, has been done to you in the summary of what lies behind in your past. He's not saying don't ever think about it. That's not what he's saying. I mean, Scripture actually tells us to think about what we were many times before we came to Christ. We, in Colossians chapter 1, we were alienated, hostile in mind, and were to reckon ourselves as such. In Titus, Titus chapter 3, these things are... It's said of us, for we ourselves were once foolish. And there's something about our past that we're supposed to actually recall. Here's what I'm, I'm not saying, and the Apostle Paul's not saying, and we wouldn't think that the past is meaningless. That's not what he's saying. And of course, I wouldn't be saying that our past doesn't have significant shaping influences in our life. The sum total of what lies behind in the history of our life has tremendous shaping influences. You know, our childhood, what happened and didn't happen, our relationship with our parents or non-relationship with our parents are, you know, all of these kinds of things. The generational history in our past, even before us. So when he says forgetting what lies behind, he's not saying, he's not saying things like when we start to think about our past, these are the kinds of things that we think about. How much effect does the past have on me? Well, in, in my past existence as a Christian, you know, uh, 20 years ago, um, I would have been much more quick to make judgments about a person's obedience um, in this sense that I would have thought that their past should affect them way less than it does. And then you grow up, and you learn more wisdom, and you see the amount of things and, and that happen in people's lives, and you realize, you know, these shaping influences are much bigger than I ever realized. They're much bigger than I ever realized. And what's important about that is that we don't, there, there is this sense in which when the apostle says forgetting what lies behind, he doesn't mean don't ever think about your past again. Um, he doesn't mean things like it doesn't have any shaping influence in your life. What he's ultimately saying is all of the things there would be shaping influences, that would be your righteousness or unrighteousness, that would be things that have happened to you. All of that, really, the goal is to um, allow that to serve my pressing on in the pursuit of Christ. To clarify the end goal is Christ. To be used in the hands of God to seek this future resurrection from the dead. For me to live, in other words, to serve me in the pursuit of the Christian life. And now, I will say that in a culture like ours, I'm getting a little ahead in the text, but in a culture like ours, right, when, when the apostle then later says, let the mature think this way, that 
they forget what lies behind in a certain sense and press on towards the goal ahead. Our whole culture lives from the past. It's controlled by the past. It's dominated from the past. It's entitled from the past. It's victimhood from the past. And no one ever, ever, ever can get beyond anything that ever happened to them in the past. They are owed because of every past wrong. And so it's very likely, it's not very likely, that's a, what a soft way to say this. So for you, the temptations to endlessly excuse the past as reason for disobedience are also very, very real. You say, where is the fine, where's the fine line between shaping influences of the past and letting the past control me in some way that is leading me down a path that's not actually pressing on towards the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Where is that line? Now what you will all say is you will say, well, it's when you sin. And I say, I think that's the easy way out. I think that that's what I would have said 20 years ago. And I think that comes from this underlying assumption that, like, we just sin sometimes. And then once, once you know, once we, once we really give in to it, then we're sinning. It's, and it's just, an, it's just not a Christian way to think. Our sins are all very many. And it's, it's kind of, here's maybe the way I would say it is, there are areas we, where we are particularly weak. We're particularly weak because of the shaping influences of our past. Do you think Jesus doesn't know that? In other words, our temptation to be disobedient in a more regular way because of significant influences, shaping influences in our lives. Do you think Jesus doesn't have sympathy with the points of your greatest weakness? And I think what I want to say to you all is when you're seeking to understand people and to love them and to love each other in the church, and you're seeking to make judgments about things, you have to know people. You have to know them, and you have to know what their particular weaknesses are because of shaping influences in the past. And you know what? There's probably other areas of their life that are more important where Jesus wants to do work than to just sit and poke their bruise. Who wants to have their greatest point of weakness constantly poked? And we all have those. Who has great points of weakness? We all have them. And you don't want somebody constantly poking like your weakest point. So, when we're forgetting what lies behind, there actually is a sense in which we are still pursuing the future call, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We're still pursuing that, and we've got some serious weaknesses over here, but the weaknesses aren't hindering that pursuit of Christ in the way that you often think they are. You think they're destroying it. And Jesus is thinking, there's actually probably a lot of other things that are more important right now in your life with me to mortify than just thinking about your weaknesses. Think about something that's um, different than just being where your weak points are. that's more high-handed. 
when he says forgetting what lies behind, he's also not saying that we shouldn't learn from the past. He's not saying we shouldn't learn from the past. Learning from the past can be helpful. Ultimately, what he's saying is all of, the, all of what lies behind us isn't to be the controlling, dominating factor in our life. The focus of our gaze can't be backwards. And so when he turns to a race illustration, when he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize, he's using a race illustration. And the way I would think about it is think about some items in your past like a hurdle sprint. There are, some, there are going to be some hurdles to overcome. You know, every, every young man has to reckon with his father. You know, there's going to be hurdles to overcome. And, but you're racing, and so some of those hurdles are actually going to be overcome because... It would be the difference between actually running a race and seeking to overcome some of those hurdles in the pursuit of Christ, forgetting what lies behind, and just walking up to the first hurdle and going, eh. I mean, imagine a runner. It's like, eh. <laughs> and so, I, I feel this tension with you about your past, right? I feel this tension that... You have significant shaping influences, and let, yet you can't let it control you, but maybe something about that illustration can be helpful. You know, If the past is your gaze, it's your focus, you walk up to the first hurdle, and you just go, eh, I ran far enough in this race. Forgetting what lies behind. Don't you think there were some days where the grief of the Apostle Paul was just in some ways, overwhelming because he was a persecutor of Christ and his church. I mean, so sometimes the past isn't the whole life past. Sometimes it's like, what just happened five seconds ago? And yesterday, I was, um, there's a guy who's been going through a lot in life, and uh, he had texted me to play disc golf, and he lives a ways away, and I was going to be driving about 45 minutes to a course to kind of meet him halfway, and um, he texted me on Monday. Well, I was really looking forward to spend some time with him and didn't put it in my calendar. So I was supposed to meet him at 10 a.m. yesterday, and then at 10.22, he sends me a message that I didn't get until 10.40, and he's, it was very gracious. He's like, well, did you get lost? LOL. And I'm just like, uh, you know, you just feel terrible. Because um, not only did you uh, not keep the appointment, you have somebody who's been going through a lot in life who drove 40 minutes himself, and now I'm still 45 minutes away, and there's not anything I can do about it, you know. And those kind of things sometimes just make you want to go lay down on the couch and just kind of go, what in the world, you know. And so sometimes the past is the very, very recent past. And so I did, uh, did kind of feel like that for a little while, just like, oh my goodness, how can anyone put up with me, you know? But there's got to be something to what the proverb says when it says the righteous fall seven times and get back up. So I immediately called him, apologized profusely, and asked his forgiveness. And of course, he was merciful, and you know, it's no real issue, really. Um, and uh, um, but it's like, Lord, okay. I mean, and so I'm actually sitting there thinking, I'm preaching about pressing on tomorrow. Right now, I just think, what are you worth even pressing on for? <laughs> and yet, I'm thinking, okay, so sometimes 
I don't want to press on because I see sin sometimes in my immediate past, like five minutes, ten minutes, an hour ago, yesterday, just, just this last week. But the Apostle Paul says, I, with all of those things in mind, I pressed on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Think what way? Think that there are things in our past that we do have to leave behind in pursuit of Christ. Think that it's worth suffering for Christ's sake. Think that the attaining of the resurrection of the dead is so valuable. I must not get distracted along the way by anything, especially my past. Which means, let those who are, of us who are mature think this way. And then he says, and if anything you think otherwise, I, I love this here. God will reveal that also to you. Have you ever thought about somebody and thought, well, they think that and they're not right about that, but you know what? God will probably reveal that also to them. You ever thought that? You should think that. Why should you think that? You should think that because that actually reveals that you trust God for someone else's pressing on. You should think that because you recognize if you're mature, you recognize there's also those who aren't as far along as you. And you should gladly embrace them in their weakness. And just love them. And help them move on. Help them press on. Just help them press on. I hope we're a church that I just hope we're a church that loves the weak. I hope we're a church that understands everybody doesn't come in in the same place. I hope we're a church that understands that they're probably where I was once. You know how much of my ministry is just telling people how I was like them once? <laughs> like, that's, that's like the number one thing I do. Oh, yeah, I remember. I mean, I remember all this time, and it was like this. And I mean, that's, that's like probably the, the number one thing I do. You know? But there's hope for you, because it's not, it's not quite like that anymore. You know? It's not quite like that anymore. But oh man, I know where you're at. Don't you think we need more of that? Only let us hold true to what we have attained. You say, well, what does it look like to press on? How do I press on? Let me say this. Let me say this before I go there, because I think the next paragraph is really the Apostle Paul's how to press on. That's how I think the paragraphs are connected. Our church can't forever live in the past of what we once were. And what was good about it and what was bad about it. Right? Our church can't forever just dwell on the fact that, oh, well, we were a church plant of Harvest Bible Chapel and sit there forever and uh, merely groan about it. We have to press on and consider what is more godly and what is more loving and what is more true and what's more humble for us and our love as a church and what's better doctrinally, what's better for our unity and what's healthier. What are healthier commitments in Scripture that we should be committed to as a church that uh, were all failures back then? We just have to press on towards Christ. We have to press on towards Christ together as a church, which is a lot of what this year has been about. 
It's been pressing on toward, towards better uh, biblical commitments. Rather than going, well, that was a failure, or uh, what most of my friends did was go, well, this was all good except for one bad apple, so, you know. And so you have to get rid of what's bad and you have, have to move on towards Christ. And we have to do that as a church. And so a lot of this church really has been kind of answering the question, who are we as a church? Who are we as a church? I want to encourage you with two more thoughts. One is, your marriage cannot be a marriage that just constantly lives in the past. It, you, you can't you, in two ways. One is you can't constantly be thinking about everything that was wrong. You know, for you wives, you know what you do. You fixate on like it doesn't matter how much is respectable that your husband does. What you do is you fixate on one or two points of weakness. You just fixate on them. And so because of those one or two points of weakness, now you can have no respect for him whatsoever about anything. And now he's done this for one year or two years or four years or five years or ten years or whatever. What do you think the Apostle Paul would say? At some point... First of all, you need to respect your husband. There's plenty to respect about him. Generally speaking, in our church. But if you're just living in the past of keeping a record of wrongs forever, is that really helping you pursue the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? Is that helping your Christ-likeness, or is that actually your focus on the past in your marriage hindering your love? Is it actually helping you attain a future of perfection with Christ? Or is it actually just a hurdle that you're like running the race and you just run through the hurdles? Nobody wins that race. No. This is what men will do. This is how you'll take the principle that I'm preaching and make it not mean, uh, make it mean something other than what it actually means. So because you're selfish, you'll think, well, my wife just needs to forget everything I've ever done and just move on. Why can't she ever move on? I've pressed on. No, you haven't. You haven't actually pressed on. All you've done is kind of shove it under the rug. And that's how men will that's how men will fail to apply this passage properly. When you're using it to serve yourself, that's what you will do. For crying out loud, can't you guys just look at yourselves and go I don't know how you put up with me. And then your spouse looks back at you and says, I don't know how you put up with me either. Okay, let's just hold hands and press on because there's been a lot that's messed up. And that's what I want for you. That's all I want for you. We're actually going to pursue the upward call of God in Christ Jesus together. Now, let's assume for a second there's plenty of really hurtful things in the past, and trust me, I know. I know. I want to give you hope that by the grace of God, as the Apostle Paul says, all of this is in Christ. It's from Christ. It's in Christ. It's for Christ. All of this is by the grace of God. That you actually can obey and do what the Apostle Paul is doing here so that whatever is in the past now 
five years from now has a different kind of past about it. Your future past, if you obey God, will be different if you're, if you're going, I need to press on towards the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, your future past will be different than your past past. And there's, so there's so much hope for you wherever you're at. This is what I, I tell young couples and, and even older couples. Look, you have a lot of time left. Your future past can be better than what your past past is, Okay? And you can enjoy the life that God has given you under the sun more than what it currently has been. Pressing on. Now, I'm just going to cover these last verses quickly, but... Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In other words... Get your eyes off of all the bad examples that your eyes want to fixate on. Who are who, all the people who have all the answers and have it all figured out and who know all the right scripture verses for all the right doctrines all the time and they just know everything. Get your eyes off of them. Why? Because they run the risk of being like the dogs and the evil workers and the circumcision, the one who are the mutilators of the flesh. That's why. Because they're full of themselves. They're just like the Apostle wrote in verse 21 of chapter 2. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul is saying, follow my example, which is entirely counter to that. And then he, he obviously recounts in verse 18 that he's warned the church about them for many of whom I have often told you. If you ever needed a Bible verse to understand why sometimes we have to actually name names, this is a great one for that. Because it's pastorally good work to do that. And this is in the Bible right here. Okay? So have faith in the Bible and its ways. The Apostle Paul is faithful for many of whom, in other words, you know who they are, Philippian church. I have often told you and now tell you, but then he says, even with tears. What tears? The tears of how much they destroy Christ's church. The tears of how much trouble they cause when they stir up whole families. the divisions they cause when they seek people's allegiance only to themselves. The hell that they send people to because they lie to them and lie to them and lie to them about Christ. I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Follow my example. Not their example. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. Right now, Most specifically, I don't believe the Apostle Paul here when he's talking about this is talking about things like Pride Month where they glory in their shame, although what else is it? You know, what else is it? Most specifically, he's talking about those imposters within the church who lead the church astray who glory in their shame and are concerned only for self-interest and who, whose end is destruction and whose God is their belly. It's hard to find and think about one of our celebrities who doesn't fit this.
Their God is their belly. They feed on the church. They glory in their shame. All they live is for the things of the earth. And what, the, what is the Apostle Paul's whole goal in this passage? That I may attain the resurrection. In other words, I have to live like I have a future resurrection. I can't be distracted along the way. I can't turn to the right or to the left. I can't pursue sin and let it consume me. I have a future resurrection and I have a course to follow and I must press on towards the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Why? Because that's where my citizenship lies because Christ has made me His own. That's the argument. All the imposters only care about the things of the earth. You know, the, the, easy, the easy way to say who these imposters are is like look at the prosperity preacher who constantly talks about his jet and his house and his, you know, the size of his ministry that's all the blessing of God on his life because of his great faith. Glorying in shame. God is their belly. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. This is resurrection, right? Stay the course and live like a citizen of heaven because we await a Savior and he will bring about that end. Do not stray from the course. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. What is hindering you from future resurrection? Do you have sin you need to confess to get it out of your life? Are there temptations to believe things that are going to take you away from the simplicity of the good news of the Gospel? Are you under threat at IU? Is there... And what is it? What is it that causes all of the imposters to be the way they are. Think in the line of the Apostle's argument. It's avoiding suffering. It's always avoiding suffering for earthly gain. Always. It's what it always is. And the Apostle Paul, why does he say, why does he keep coming back to resurrection? Because he's suffering in his body. And he's in prison. And his body is suffering in prison. And sometimes he gets lashed 39 times and his body is suffering. So the hope of resurrection is precious to him because he's been willing to share in the sufferings of Christ now. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself? Do not deny and do not run from, and do not avoid, it will corrupt your soul forever, the suffering that is to be yours in following Christ. The moment you turn away from the suffering that is to be following Christ, you are not remaining true to what you have confessed. And you are walking down a dangerous road with your mindset on earthly things, making for yourself your God being your belly. Their end is destruction. Their end is destruction. And I want no hindrances for you. I want no realities from your past to be hindrances to your future resurrection from the dead. I want you to endure every suffering, suffering that's needful for you to endure. That if by any means possible, you may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Because Christ has made you His own 
Your citizenship is there. And you belong with him. Stand with me for prayer, would you? Father, thank you. Thank you that you will accomplish your purposes with your word even now. We do pray that you would bear fruit through it, that you would help your church to overcome hindrances, especially those in the past, both of successes and of failures, of sins. The end of obedience that we would forget what lies behind because we're still straining forward, reaching for a finish line. God, make this church and each of its members, we pray, faithful for a lifetime of pursuing the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I do pray, Father, that as this message causes past things to get stirred up and how much effect they've had and um, Lord, I do pray that you would protect us from many kinds of temptations that a message like this will, the enemy would use to actually have an inverse effect. Guard the hearts of your sheep. Help them to properly proportion what's needed. Lord, I do pray for anyone here who needs help thinking through these things, especially their past, that you would help them to seek counsel. because attaining the resurrection from the dead is just so worth whatever it takes to see ourselves the way you see us. That there would be no hindrances to our pursuit of God in Christ. Be gracious to us, we pray, and help us not to turn away from the suffering that is ours in following Jesus here. Be merciful in your son's name. Amen.